Hello, and welcome to Remember God Loves You, and I'll meet you at the finish line. Well, today we have a very special guest on our show. He is running for the 8th Congressional District. His name is Jacob Vandeplas, um, and he is welcome here, and he is going to be on this show to talk about why he's running for office and kind of getting a little bit of background history on if he gets elected, what he would like to see. We are welcome, Jacob, onto the show. How's it going, Jacob? I'm doing wonderful. How about yourself? Uh, I'd say take two. <laughs> it's going great. <laughs> okay. So it was interesting because um, I, this whole, like, when you, you know, technology can be, it can be good and bad at the same time. You know, sometimes it wants to work when it wants to, just like my ex-girlfriend. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I'll second that motion. Yeah. <laughs> so, so where is the 8th District? So if people have the state of Wisconsin, where would they find yeah. the 8th District at? So the 8th Congressional District is going to be comprised of Door County, Kiwani County, Brown County, Outagamie County, Calumet, O'Connell, Marinette, Menominee County, Shano County, and Wapaka Counties. So you are way up north, aren't you? Yeah, way up in... Uh, the nosebleed seats of Wisconsin. So I'm guessing you're a Packer fan then? Uh, season ticket holder, absolutely. Ah, man, what's up? You know what the funny part is? So before we dive right on in, so this is a very lax-to-daisy show. So like, I like to make sure people like are on track and stuff. <laughs> but we did a show. I did a show earlier today uh, talking about the upset teams. And we've wondered what's going on with the Green Bay Packers. I don't know. I It's, it's hard. I mean... Aaron Rodgers, I love him. I've met him a handful of times. In my eyes, he's the greatest who've ever played, but it, it he's definitely looking old. Yep, um, just like Tom Brady. Yep, and I'm sure they're going to try to hang on as long as possible. But what are, what do we have in the line in the lineup? I mean, Jordan Love, I don't think is ready. I don't think that Aaron Rodgers has given Aaron Love or, or Jordan Love the uh, uh, the coaching that Brett Favre had given to Rodgers. No, nope. but we've also been very blessed. I mean, I, I started watching the green Bay Packers uh, when uh, uh, the magic man, Don Mikowski was playing. Okay. So I still remember watching Brett Favre's very first pass, which yep. coincidentally was to himself. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it was, it was. So it, as far as football goes, there's never been an NFL team that has had, this caliber of a quarterback for this long. I no. mean, literally, I'm 38 years old, and it's quite literally been almost my entire life since I even knew what the Packers were. Yeah. So what they're gonna do, I don't know, but I think the uh, I think the rain and the high times were uh, are done, and we're starting to slump into a little low for the Green Bay Packers. So hopefully, the coaching staff and the management team can pull it together and yeah. and get some key players to either support Aaron Rodgers or Start moving forward on the next uh, next regime of the Green Bay Packers. Well, the plus side is I'm a Bears fan, so we're in the rebuilding. Oh, oh. Yeah. we're in the <laughs> we're in the rebuilding structure. We're in the rebuilding phase. We've been in that rebuilding phase since 2007. <laughs> I thought it was 1984. No, uh, we played against. Uh, oh, I get. Okay, that's right. You know, and that's I think that's probably the best part and why I I, I love football. It's the rivalries. Yeah. And at the end of the day, we sit in the stadium, we talk smack back and forth. But when we leave, 
that gets shut down and we're back to being neighbors again. And yep. it's, it's, and if you've never been to Lambeau field, it is something to, to behold. I, I, I can't say it enough. I've been so fortunate to be able to have the tickets in the family that have been passed down since my grandfather, like from my yep. grandfather to my parents and now to me and my brothers. And, um, it's those traditions that still live on is what gives me hope, hope and for I, this country. And right now within this country, we are in, we're in some trouble. Yes. And actually it's fantastic news that you're bringing in this, bringing into our next subject. So what is your thoughts? You know, I've been noticing, you know, that they've been on the football, been putting vote on the football fields and stuff. What are your thoughts on, you know, as a candidate, do you think it's a little bit overdrive and that they're politicizing sports or what is your thoughts? I think it's absolutely annoying. Um, it, so the whole principle of the Libertarian Party is is the government doesn't always work for the people. And we try mm-hmm. to actually restrict the government uh, as, as much as we can for the fact that it's filled with corrupt individuals that are really taking advantage of we the people. And the one thing I hear over and over and over again in this campaign is we are tired of having politics injected into absolutely everything. Yep. We can't just go watch a football game anymore without having some kind of a, a political messaging to it, or we can't go to a baseball game or we can't even go down the street. People are tired of politics, but unfortunately politics is a very serious part of our lives. And that's, kind of the whole cornerstone of the libertarian party is, is we believe in local level legislation we yep. believe in local communities coming together we yep. believe that the closer that the government is to home the more accountable it is to the people and that's what we all want it, it doesn't matter if you're right left in the center or, or anywhere on that spectrum we all want a government that's accountable to the people and right now, we're as far away from a government accountable to people as we have ever been. Yeah, and it's scary, actually. It, it um, really is. Because I grew up in, I, I was born in Russia, and I immigrated to America in 2006. And there's a night and day difference. And the sad thing is that we see, we see the government overreach in our personal lives. Like, for instance, you know, the way that um, we have to, like, the, the new 87, 85,000 IRS agents. Yeah. Why on earth are we why are we giving eighty nine billion dollars to the IRS to not only that but to weaponize them for what you know and yeah. why are we why are we expanding government at a rapid rate you know for instance there's this uh, part of this government now called the Advocacy Plant uh, Department so you know it's the Biden administration they appointed the new member I think it was Tim Kaine's wife she I is think leading. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, th- this administration, and now that about this administration, and I think we can say that the Trump administration as well, did uh, the Trump administration expanded the government a little bit compared to this administration? This administration has done like on steroids, expanded this government to the high ends. And now that, but this administration has put America last and is stating that, you know what, you guys are, you guys are nobody, but we are going to collect your taxes, whether you like it or not, but because we got to, uh, you, we got to give it to other countries that need it better more than you guys do. Cause you guys are too off. And then, Oh, but you guys are racist too. Yeah. You know, what is your, yeah, you know, yeah. You're, you're, you're hitting a nail on the head and you're singing to my heart. Uh, it's we, we, 
we have taxation without representation. And then uh, one of my one of my favorite quotes, it's one of my quotes actually, is that our government officials vote first and foremost for their donors. Then they're yeah. going to vote for their party. Then we, the people, might maybe get a voice. Okay, that is by definition taxation without representation. I encourage everyone to go back and actually reread the Declaration of Independence and pay attention to all of the things that they called out King, King George for. All the transgressions against King George, we're living that now today. Mm-hmm. Okay, we can't continue to go down this path. We have to work towards a government accountable to the people. So there's a lot of times I'm asked questions like, what am I going to do about Social Security? How am I going to fix Social Security? And I was like, you know what? Honestly, I'd like to work away from Social Security, start working to ending that program. And then people look at me like I don't care about the elderly. The fact of the matter is, is I care enough about the elderly to be truthful about Social Security. Mm-hmm. Social Security is going to be insolvent by 2034. There's nothing left. You have hundreds of thousands of people counting on this. It's gone. Yeah. And it's gone because of corrupt bureaucrats stealing it to pay off our national debt. We can't continue to do this. Well, well and not only that, but, you know, for instance, they, um, for instance, uh, uh, a couple of years ago, I think it was last year, the veterans were all given a $150 bill. You know, and it was all given like the veterans were, I think, uh, part of the pay was affected and other things were and we got special tax and it was all to pay into Social Security. Well, the bigger question is, is that where's all that money going through? You know, with all the over excessive spending, you wonder why the Social Security thing is um, going away. It's because we overspend the money that we don't have. We give money to wars that we shouldn't be involved in. And speaking of wars that we shouldn't be involved in, can you explain to me on this question? I, you know, I have people asking me this. They're like, "Why do you, why do you keep on talking about fueling both sides?" You know, what is your thoughts on giving Russia uh, sixty billion dollars until twenty thirty five to get nuclear weapons from them, and then we give Taiwan and China one point three billion dollars to Taiwan, thirteen billion dollars to Russia or China, and then we keep giving sixty billion dollars. Uh, through this coming year to Ukraine. Why are we fueling all of our enemies? I mean, I don't get that. What is your thoughts? <laughs> we, the, the, one of the cornerstones of the Libertarian Party is to end all foreign entanglements. All of them. We should not be involved in the, the affairs of other countries because this is how we get ourselves in this mess of being able to have to give money to this person and money to that person and money to this person. How about we just stop it? Stop it all. Okay. Our, our government was put in, in still in place to be able to protect the individual rights and liberties of our constituents in this country. Yeah. We're not supposed to be meddling in the affairs of other countries. Leave them be. Yeah. Does that sound horrific? Yeah, maybe. All right. But we, we can't continue to go down this road. We are spending, spending, spending. Um, we actually advocate the Libertarian Party and myself. We actually advocate for free trade. Okay, so these are the things, and we know this is to be effective because of countries like Vietnam. Okay, Vietnam right now is one of our biggest trade partners. Okay, none of that war, and they're still communists. We went over to Vietnam to stop communism. We were failed, and we lost, what, 58,000, over 58,000 Americans, over 1 million Vietnamese had to die in order for us to just become 
trade partners. Mm-hmm. Why didn't we? Why didn't we start with trade? How about we start there? Yeah, what's well, like this government? So, if you get elected as a congressman, what? How would you? First of all, would you push uh, legislation that would stop funding Ukraine? Because clearly, we've funded Ukraine. I did the math. The United States has given Ukraine over two point three trillion dollars, and each citizen Oof. would own on which each citizen would automatically be multi-billionaires, and then they would still have money in the sur- There will still be a way in the surplus. While President Zelensky actually now makes $10 million um, a day uh, with all of our throwing money at his. What would you do as a congressman, as a future congressman, if elected on November 8th? Uh, that's the, literally the minute after I get sworn in, I would be calling out on President Joe Biden to call for an immediate ceasefire between Russia and Ukraine. And then start working towards the de-escalation, and then ending the funding there. We we it is such a mess. This is such a mess. This is why we cannot get entangled with these in foreign foreign engagements like this. Um, but no, we have to start de-escalating the situation. Not only for the fact that if we continue to go down this road, we're going to push a bear into the corner who's going to launch off nuclear weapons. Uh, I do firmly believe that. But this is not helping we the people here in this country whatsoever. No. no. And and we see that in our gas prices. We yep. see that in our oils. Would you support Republican lawmakers in supporting of opening up the like the Keystone Pipeline and opening up our oil fields instead of playing politics? Would you support that or would you consider something else? I, here, here's, here's the best way that you can describe this. So Let's back this up a little bit, and then we're going to roll right into this question here. Is I, um, I'm an organic produce farmer okay, who practices regenerative agriculture, environmental protections, and, and having a clean environment is a huge, huge thing for me. But I think a lot of the environmental changes that we can make, we can make through changing our current agricultural processes. Okay? So would I support opening up... Um, becoming energy independent absolutely but that doesn't mean that that is the end all okay and the best way to explain this is cheap fuel or cheap energy leads to affordable innovations okay Mm -hmm. expensive fuels or expensive energy leads to even more expensive innovation which actually stalls innovation we've got some really good things coming out with like hydrogen cells where we can actually run cars off of water mm-hmm. okay if you take a positive and negative lease stick it in water it breaks it apart at h2o it's forty thousand times more combustible than than gasoline but in order to do that testing and to be able to make sure that that is feasible and workable we need to be able to have cheap energies so the long answer to your question is yes i would support opening up and and making sure that we have the energy and resources that we need but we also need to make sure that we are investing in new technologies at the same time at at the same time so affordable cheap energy means affordable cheap uh innovations to be able to eventually work ourselves off of fossil fuel yeah i don't know if that's the end all either but we, we we can argue back and forth all day long about global warming or environmental crisis. Put all of that to the side. We should always be focusing on doing a better job of taking care of our environment. 
Yeah. Well, even Elon Musk said he wrote he he talked to President Joe Biden and he even said you can't do you can't stop like what you can't just stop using resources all <clears> day <throat> and deplete all of the supplies. You can't do that yes. because you got to do it gradually, like what California is doing by 2035, what North Carolina is doing. That is that's called that's called uh that's called just pissing pardon my language, but that's called pissing off your voters and saying, Well, you know what, F you guys find a way. Exactly. You know? And well, we can't do that. And we you know, because until well, here's my whole philosophy on it, because I did a I did a couple of episodes back on the diesel crisis and on the fuel crisis. Until you find something else that doesn't depend on oil, for instance, when you make it's oil pretty much. You use some kind of oil. And when you use something and then also diesel, find another way to uh, use diesel. You know, we have to gradually uh, wane ourselves away from fossil fuels. That's what I support of. I don't support like, oh, we got to stop using it all together. Like um, you can't cold turkey things. You know, this is yeah. one of the instances. When, when you when you cold turkey and you're moving at the rate that the, this current administration is moving, you're actually holding back ingenuity. You're holding yeah. back those those uh, the, those innovations that are needed to move us into the next generation, and there's other things that we can look at. Okay, so so think of it this way: the two, what do you think that the two top items are that are making it into our landfills? The two number one items: uh, plastic and what it would be plastic, and then some kind of oh non biodegradable items. The number one item that makes it to our landfills is actually disposable diapers. Oh, get out. I did not know that. Disposable diapers. And then the number two thing that makes it to our landfills is actually our food packaging. So get out. Yeah. Our, so it's all of the food packaging. So when you I thought make, it was plastic. Well, part of it is part of the food packaging is plastic. Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So, and, and, and here, and we can make a, a drastic difference in just that. By changing the, the, the laws and registration or the re- rules and regulations coming from the FDA. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm a firm believer in not buying really anything from these big box stores. I think we should be adamantly working towards buying everything humanly possible from local vendors, supporting your local shops, especially, especially, especially your food. Everyone, 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 everyone should be buying your food starting today, as close as you can to your home. This supports your local farmers so that they can build up their farms and build up their infrastructures on their farms. So if our government ever shuts everything down again, guess what? Your local farmer is still growing food and has the resources to be able to grow enough food for your entire community. That is absolutely imperative that we support our local farmers. That is a big cornerstone of this campaign is to actually start removing those laws and regulations that are impeding our small farmers and growing the the major mega farms. We want to talk about environmental changes. Agriculture is a, a cornerstone on that. We can rethink the way we're doing this. So if you're driving through Wisconsin and you see an empty field that was just plowed over, that's actually a bad thing. It should have a cover crop in there. Farmers spend hundreds, if not thousands of dollars to inject nitrogen into the soil. If you spend just that same amount of money and actually plant seeds, if you plant like a, a, a winter wheat or a, a white clover or red clover or snow peas or even beans, that actually injects nitrogen back into your soil. There's 1,200 pounds of nitrogen 
and above every single acre of land. We need to start looking at the way the Native Americans planted with uh, um, companion planting. So when your corn gets like six, eight inches tall, go through there and plant white clover. Okay, yep. that clover is going to inject the nitrogen back into the soil and help protect it. Then when you go through and harvest the corn, guess what? Your cover crop's already there. Okay, that's that's fascinating. We we this is a big corner, and that's one that's right on my campaign card is to be able to rethink that the way that we do agriculture, and with rethinking the way that we do agriculture, is going to solve a lot of problems. Because right now, what I see is our agricultural industry is tied in with the medical industry, that is tied in with the pharmaceutical industry, that keeps us overweight and obese and it keeps us on medication instead of actually finding uh, cures they want it's all it always revolves around money and it's really yeah. really getting old yeah so then do you so then what are your thoughts on for instance china buying off farmland and converting it to windmill farms and not only that but like you also have bill gates buying out farmland and the, even the federal government buying out farmland this forcible push on taking good fertile soil and changing it to like solar farm fields, and especially in Wisconsin, which doesn't work at all. I, I I've I drive propane truck for a living, and I was literally just two three days ago down at the uh, drop delivering propane at the new plant. And as you're getting into the new plant, you got field upon field upon field of these solar panels. And don't get me wrong, I love the concept of the green energies, but with everything. Like even pulling out of Afghanistan, there's a right and a wrong way to do it. Yeah. Okay. Massive windmill farms isn't the answer. No. Okay. There, you do not have a return on investment to be able to make that feasible. Massive solar fields, again, you're missing out on the return on the investment. But if we actively worked to take every individual home off of the grid, with an assortment of green energy, solar and wind on each home, well, then we could put a dent in this. But no one's yeah. actually trying to think outside the box. We're always thinking on industrial scales. And this is something that we can obtain and do at the local level. I'm talking county level stuff, mm -hmm. not state, not federal level stuff. So one of the cornerstones of the, the Libertarian Party is trying to focus on local level legislation, not only because of the corrupt bureaucracy at the federal level and a lot that you're going to see at the state level is because we can truly make it's, it's the return on investment on your tax dollars. Okay. Yep. So your tax dollars within your own local community, you are seeing a 98% return on investment on your tax dollar. When you get up to the state level, you're seeing about a 75% return on investment with your tax dollar that 25 cents that or 25% goes towards bureaucracy and all the red tape. And then when you get to your federal level, you're more seeing like 2% return on investment with your tax dollar. Yeah. Okay? I'd like to see all of our tax dollars staying directly in our own communities. That's how we fund our schools. That's how we fund our police departments. That's how we're able to make uh, in green incentives right here within our own local communities. And see, and it's interesting you brought up the schools. You know, and I don't know if you heard what uh, the Evers administration did a couple of weeks ago, starting a school year for you to like, what is your thoughts on like the direction of the school system? Not in like in Wisconsin, but as well as the overall aspect, like there's critical race theory being taught and there's like 
like this um the equality garbage being taught where if i were an eight-year-old i can say hey mom hey teacher i identify myself as a dog you know or i identify myself as a girl as a but born male but then identify as a girl and then what happens that my teacher is like oh you do well here's a dress here's something and we're gonna start treating you to so you can become like a girl you know what is your thoughts on that like the the pushing on that on our kids so first i'll first i'll talk about the education system as a whole and then we'll move into the, the LGBTQ community. Um, it's a broken system. Education is yeah. a broken system. Oh, yeah. I, I and, and there is already legislation that is sitting on the House floor to actually abolish or end the Department of Education. And I would most certainly sign on to that once, uh, immediately. We, we need to really look at how we are educating our, our, our nation's future. Yeah. And we're doing a terrible, terrible job. Uh, my eyes, education should be between parents, teachers, and the educator, or, and then the school board, I should say. We are doing this completely wrong, okay? And we can actually build the Department of Education from the bottom up, okay? So take, for instance, here in Door County, we have four different school systems. We have Southern Door, we have Sturgeon Bay, Sevastopol, Gibraltar, and then we have Washington Island. Who I believe the school board's bigger than the amount of students on Washington Island, but that's another story. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I keep I poke fun at them, but there, there's Washington Island is an absolutely extraordinary trip with some of the most amazing people you ever meet, and I, and I say that from the bottom of my heart, not just because they're part of Door County, but they they really genuinely are. But um, we can take one member of those school boards, okay? And, and when libertarians talk about building the country from the bottom up, this is how this would look, okay? So each of these school boards has an elected body, okay? Mm -hmm. These are people that have been elected by the people to represent the people of the community. Now, one member of each of the school board gets nominated by the school board to sit at the county level board. So you'd have one individual from Southern Door, Sturgeon Bay, Sevastopol, Gibraltar, and Washington Island would all sit on the county board. That's so where you share ideas. There's a program that's going good in Southern Door. Maybe we can implement that at Sevastopol, Gibraltar, and so on and so forth. Now you could take one person from that county level board and nominate them to sit on the state level board. Mm. And then one person from the state level board can go and sit at the national level board. And this is how we can actually share information. And this is how, if we need to, we can share resources. I promise you, okay, if there is a school district that has an abundance of money and they have all the resources that they needed and a massive surplus, they'll help out the neighbors with yeah. the school system that is suffering. We as Americans are the most gracious and giving people that have ever lived on planet Earth. So to think that we need a government to be able to control all of this instead of letting we the people function outside of the government and build things that are actually working for we the people, I think is absolutely absurd. The government is the cause of most of these problems that we face, not the cure. Yeah. Well, and you look at the state of Wisconsin, you know, Governor Evers is stating that he has an education plan. Well, what education plan do you have that you haven't had since you were elected as DPI? I mean, realistically, let's look at it. You know, you've you you lowered that you requested DPI to lower the grading standards. So during the time of COVID, so you can say you had a great success while you know running the schools as a governor. But realistically, you have had more assaults on teachers. You have had 
more the reading level and reading scores have dropped across the board to like dangerous levels and it's all on your watch so i don't want to hear you i don't want to hear governor evers stating well i have a great education program you know because our kids depend on it well what education program do you have making sure that tommy is now a female or making sure that uh lauren is a male but identifies herself as a dog i mean what do you think about that so I've with the LGBTQ community, I am also a firm belief that we do have a mental health crisis. In we do, and that's the thing. I'm not. Yep. I'm not bashing them. Yeah, but- and, and and if you work with a physician with the doctor, and that is the course of treatment, then that's the course of treatment. But it should and be on our tax dollars. I, I we're libertarians are here to actually abolish taxes. We we don't believe we should be paying any money. Oh, okay. So I but, mean that 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 argument for us goes without say. Um, but when it comes to making sure that that what happened, and this is why when we say repeal the Department of Education, this is what we're this is this is not this is not the only reason why, but this is one of the main reasons why. Some people believe in this, and some people don't. So if your local community, if this is what you want to do within your local community and your children, you have autonomy over your children outside of certain things to the age of consent. I mean, we advocate strongly for parental autonomy, but that doesn't mean that you can prostitute out your children. I mean, there are still lines when it comes to parental autonomy. It also means that there is lines that come into play if you're trying to transition your child. There is an age of consent. Yep, and that's 18. And that is 18. That should be the same thing when it comes to gender reaffirming surgeries and all that good stuff as well. Okay, because we are seeing an ever-growing movement of detransitioners. We are watching, I watch quite a bit uh, what's happening over in Europe and how they are handling stuff. And they have they have actually stopped moving forward with the, with the trans, uh, gender reaffirming surgeries for minors because it seems to be ineffective. Mm-hmm. So... These are topics that I would like to really keep in with the doctors. And I do believe that there should be accountability of place or liability is probably a better word. So if for some reason, if you transition a child and we're wrong, well, th- there should be liability placed with that. Yeah. And not only that, but like the kid doesn't know, you know, you're telling a kid, a teacher's telling a kid that's like eight years old. Oh, it's okay. See, and that's the thing that like, and I think teachers should also be, you know, like what you said with accountability, you know, you shouldn't not only hold your doctors accountable, but you should also hold your teachers accountable for pressing out an issue. And I, then what is your thoughts on the teachers or the schools teaching kids uh, critical race theory, like hating this country. What is your thoughts on it? As a veteran, I find that as a slap in the face, and especially as an immigrant, I'm noticing that we have college students coming out as pretty much, I hate to say it, the word communist, and stating that they have more hatred for this country, and that people that immigrated, like I have immigrated from Russia, I devote my life to this country, and I joined the United States Air Force because I was so grateful of what this country has provided. You know, what is your thoughts on it? Because I heard that you were a veteran as well. I mean, what's yeah. your on it? I, I spent, I actually, I spent 13 years in the Wisconsin Army National Guard. I did two tours in Iraq. And um, again, this comes right back down to getting the government out of our education system. Okay, period. Okay. Mm-hmm. And if there are communities that want to teach this stuff, well, guess what? I, I don't foresee those communities standing too long. 
So the key, the, the number one thing that we have to do when it comes to um, critical race theory within schools and this, that, and the other uh, is get the government out of our education system. Now, I can also say that the way that we teach history and the, some of the stuff that we do teach our children aren't, isn't always inclusive. There are things that I find myself now at 38 years old when I'm spending time with the Native American communities and the Latina communities out here campaigning that I've misfired on mm-hmm. and it's taught me a lot. So I see the aspect of it, but teaching that anything is bad, I, I don't think that's a wise decision whatsoever. We no, have because- to be able to teach that people are good and it comes down to if you're an optimist or a pessimist. Is the glass half full or the glass is half empty? You can either teach our children that this country is bad and terrible, or you can teach that, you know what? Our country hasn't always lived up to the principles that it is deemed in our founding documents, but every single day we wake up and actively work towards being better. And that's what should be taught. And that's yes. not what is being taught. What is being taught that is being hateful and you know, and, and I hear the argument like some of our founding fathers had slaves. I understand. I get it. I get it. Was it right? No, it wasn't right. But that doesn't mean that we need billions of dollars in reparations here today in 2020. Yeah. Well, and you also have to look at this, you know, and if they want to bring up the slave argument, I just tell them, I'm like, well, look at Africa, you know, look at their slave owners. They had slave owners and they were black, African-Americans because uh, so that argument can get shut down or shut down immediately. So the overall thing, not the overall thing. And so what's another key factor that you're running on as a libertarian that's different from your opponents? One, the the biggest thing that differentiates me between me and my opponent, my challenger, Mike Gallagher is that I am as anti-war as you could possibly get. How would you, so can you explain to my listeners, how would that be possible under America that thrives on war, especially under this administration? It's terrifying that we do derive on war on the size of the military industrial complex. Uh, the Democrat Party actually used to be the anti-war party, and those that's just all gone. Um, we need to be able to start advocating for peace, free trade that has mutual benefit to not just our country, but the others that we're trading with. And that is the path that's going to bring peace and prosperity. Uh, If we want to actually start taking down tyrannical regimes, that starts with the people within those tyrannical regimes stepping up themselves the same way that we did back in 1776 and got the tyranny out of this country. Yep. But we, the people here today, are facing a level of tyranny that we have seen even further than we ever did in 1776. And we have to stand up. We have to stand up right now against all of this and say enough. Yep. Because we, we are the last hope for this country. We are the ones that hold that torch of liberty. We are the ones that have the light. If we can't hold our government here in the United States of of America accountable, no one else in the world is going to stand up to try to even hold theirs accountable. No, and that is very scary to think about. And, uh, you know, for me, when I think about that, I'm like, man, I guess we have another fight on our hands. And, I think we do. I really think we do. And it's interesting because I, we, I escaped communism to only come to America. And it was very, it was very disheartening because, you know, this whole censorship uh, that's going on, 
and stating that, well, you got a, like this whole democracy. Can you explain to the listeners how the difference between democracy and what this country was founded on? Because I feel like so many people have yeah. come at me and that democracy. I want you to explain to the listeners the difference between democracy and what our country was founded on. Our country was actually founded to be a constitutional republic. Okay. Okay. That's a huge difference. And what we have right now, and, and depending on who you talk to on each side of the aisle, one side is going to tell you we're a constitutional republic. The other side is going to tell you that we are a multicultural democracy. The reality of the matter is, is they're both right. Okay. But here's why. We are a constitutional republic, but because we choose, because we choose to have only two parties that forces us into a multicultural democracy. And democracies, by nature, are polarizing and very, very bad for countries. Mm-hmm. This is why we have to get other voices to the table. We have to have third, fourth, and fifth parties out here. That's how we start working this democracy down and back towards our constitutional republic. And here's the best way that you could describe the difference is a democracy is three wolves and a sheep voting over what's for dinner. A constitutional wow. republic ensures that that sheep is heavily armed. Hmm. I'm thinking about that. That's a good point that you brought up. Let that roll around for a minute. Huh. So what do you think? So isn't there like a, <clears throat> but isn't that like scary, like the direction of this country's heading though? It's terrifying. Like, well, but they say that you have to save this country for democracy. But isn't that scary when they think that, like, the Democratic Party is, like, honing in on that and saying that, well, you pretty much are forced to, if you don't agree with it, you're against democracy. If you don't agree with the Democratic Party, you are um, infringing on the democracy, you know. And it was stated on The View, you know, for instance, uh, Joe Bear, whatever her name is, she's like, well, it's, you know, I took a poll and only 7% of people care about the insurrection. That's like our democracy is at stake, you know? <laughs> I, I know. Yeah. <clears throat> so, and here's how it goes, is current situation, what we have right now is we have two political factions that are battling for power, okay? And this is why the two-party system is absolutely terrible. So in order for the Democrats to do anything or for the Republicans to do anything, they have to be in power. So that means... Their very, very first objective as an elected official is to help gain power, to help gain control. At no point in time did our founding fathers want our federal government to control anybody. This whole government was founded on liberty, and the definition of liberty is freedom from the government. Mm -hmm. Okay, With liberty and justice for all. We don't have freedom from the government. We have a two-tiered justice system. This is why third parties are absolutely critical and need to start playing a bigger role because we are a constitutional republic that has democratic practices. So the the democratic practices is that we get to vote. That Mm -hmm. is the democratic process. That does not mean that we have a democracy. We are a constitutional republic that democratically votes our leaders. Yes. And we are in a very, very scary spot right now because we have two political factions fighting for power. That means they're not representing we the people. 
They are fighting for their party to have power. And that's what we are seeing. We are seeing two political factions fighting for power and leaving we the people completely in the dust. Yep. And that's what we are seeing. And that should be alarming to each and every single one of us. So as we conclude, do you have any other final thoughts for my listeners or how can people get hold of you or... Oh sure, I'll, I could I could talk with you for another two hours. But, uh, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll keep it short. To wrap things up, well, I'd love to have you back on. By the way, yeah, uh, absolutely. I am still I am still the state chairman. So I mean, I'll, I'll give you a quick two minute brief of my background and stuff too for okay. the listeners. I am a farmer, I'm a truck driver, and I'm a veteran all simultaneously. Um, my biggest push for this campaign is to actually to take care of our veterans. We still have twenty veterans a day committing suicide. So to give to per- to some perspective on where that sits at, our post-9-11 mm-hmm. veterans, so Iraq and Afghanistan veterans, we've lost 7,070 post-9-11 veterans in combat between Iraq and Afghanistan. Okay, We have also lost, as of May 2021, according to the Browns University, the Cost of War Project, we have lost over 30,177 of our post-9-11 veterans to suicide. We have lost more post 9-11 veterans to suicide than we lost in the entire Revolutionary War. Wow, that's sad. Okay. This is this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. My farm up here, we grow organic produce, we practice regenerative agriculture, and it is a nonprofit organization, DC Farm for Vets, where we are actually training veterans on how to grow produce, regenerative agriculture, how to butcher animals and live sustainably. We're also teaching that because regenerative agriculture and organic produce and all this other good stuff is how we are going to help fix and and secure future generations by fixing the environment. I'm not just preaching this stuff. I am actively living the words that I preach. And that is critically important when we are starting to look at our elected officials. And I don't even like bringing up my nonprofit when I'm out politicking because I'm doing it because it's right and I'm not doing it for political purposes. Yeah. Um, we, we need to start thinking outside of the box within this country here. And if we continue to vote for the R's and the D's, we're going to continue to end in the, the, the mess that we are in. I am also the state chairman of the libertarian party of the state of Wisconsin. We've more than doubled our, uh, our, uh, our membership here just in the last 12 months, we are growing like crazy because people are really, really tired of the direction that the country is heading. Um, And I definitely appreciate the time, but you can find out more information about my website and my website at www.jakeliberty2022.com. And if you want to find out some sassy stuff about my challenger, you can definitely look at www.kickmikeout.com. You will see uh, a nice little video and all of the links to show that he was insider trading as soon as the coronavirus was uh, getting fired up. Wow, that's I'll put those links in. Well, you're gonna to have to send me those links, and I'll put those links in the bottom uh, for, at the end of this episode. May you guys uh, on November eighth cast your vote out for Jacob uh, Vanda Plus. Is that how you say your name? Vanda Plus. You came oh, close. Uh, yes, so Vanda Plus. <laughs> and remember, guys, uh, try to stay uh, safe and don't forget to vote on November eighth. Remember, God loves you, and I'll meet you at the finish line. Bye.